the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 2CP Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now we learn from this that one of the ways that Satan attacks us is, is just like he attacked Nehemiah and the Jewish people. He will use the tactic of stinging words that cause us to doubt whether we can really do what we're supposed to do. Words that cause us to feel like failures, words that uh, conjure up deep sense of inadequacy. You can't do that. You're too young. You know what is the correct response when people tell you that you are not up to the task God has laid on your heart? The right answer is good. That way, when it all works out, he gets all the credit. But the words still hurt, don't they? We're glad you joined us today for Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the air led by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Nehemiah faced plenty of opposition when he set out to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem when the Jews returned from their Babylonian captivity. Let's turn to chapter 4 of the book named for him and begin our lesson. Here's Pastor Steve. Let's open our Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 4. We're moving along in our study of Nehemiah. And by now, you should know where it is. If not, uh, someone sitting right near you can help you. But Nehemiah chapter 4, and I'd like to read the first six verses of Nehemiah 4. Now, it came about that when Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. And he spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was near him, and he said, Even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before thee, for they have demoralized the builders. So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Story is told that one day a farmer who happened to be a Quaker was having difficulty with his stubborn mule. And he was trying to plow his field, but his mule refused to work that day. So the farmer decided to talk some sense into his mule. You know things have gotten really bad when you try to talk to a mule. But this is what he said. Thou knowest that I am a Quaker. Thou knowest that I cannot curse thee. Thou knowest that I cannot whip thee. But what thou dost not know is that I can sell thee to my neighbor down the road. He is no Quaker, and he can beat the living daylights out of thee. You know, I can relate to that, Quaker, and uh, some of us can, because uh, as Christians, you know, we want to be at peace with one another. The Bible says that, and we know we are commanded to love our enemies, so we're not quite sure how to deal with people who stubbornly oppose us. 
We want to find a spiritual way to do it, but also a spiritual way in which we feel we can beat the daylights out of, out of somebody. So we're, we're always looking for that. We, we, uh, we want to deal and know how to respond to those who criticize us, those who oppose us, those who, who even physically threaten us. And as, as I said before, and like this, this Quaker, we're, we're looking for some God-approved way of beating the daylights out of our opponents. Well, ne- Nehemiah chapter 4 tells us how Nehemiah dealt with his enemies and his opponents in a very godly and spiritual manner. Now, from this chapter, Nehemiah 4, we're given tremendous insight from God as to how we're to respond to those who oppose us as we carry on God's will. We're not talking about those who oppose us just in our own opinions, those who oppose us uh, just uh, for the sake of opposing us, but those who oppose us as we are carrying out the will of God. Because up to this point in our study of Nehemiah, we haven't really focused too much on opposition. We were introduced to it in chapter 2 with a man by the name of Sam Ballad and some of his colleagues, who the Bible says in chapter 2, verse 10, that uh, uh, he despised uh, the Jewish people. He uh, was annoyed that somebody had come to Jerusalem out of concern for the welfare of the sons of Israel. Uh, it says that he mocked them. But we introduced it at that point by saying the principle there was this, that when you are involved in the work of God, just anticipate satanic oppression. And Satan uses people. And that's really all we said at that point. We just kind of fleshed it out a little bit. But uh, that was before we dealt with the fact that the Jewish people were building the wall. Sam Ballot was annoyed, but he didn't do anything at that point, apart from just mocking and, and so forth. But now, in chapter 3, Nehemiah goes on to tell us in his memoirs that uh, the Jewish people began, they rolled up their sleeves, they got to work, and they started to build the wall. Now, if all you, you had read in Nehemiah was up to chapter 3, you would miss much of this book, because in chapters 4, 5, and 6, Nehemiah tells us about the various tactics of the enemy in trying to discourage and demoralize the people. And so you might get the wrong impression if you only read up to chapter 3. You might get the impression that everything went smoothly, and that the wall was put together and there were no problems, and you know what, that's just not the way it is. That's not the way it is in Nehemiah, that's not the way it is in real life. Real life has its bumps and problems. And there are actually two interpretations of why things never seem to run smoothly. The world has its interpretation, and the Christian has its interpretation. The world's interpretation, in that it looks to that great philosopher, uh, Mr. A.J. Murphy, who coined Murphy's Law. And Murphy's Law says this, if there is any chance of something going wrong, you can be sure it will. And that's pretty much the world's interpretation. It's just going to go wrong, because a guy named Murphy said it would go wrong. Now, on the other hand, the Christian who is committed to the Word of God, looking to the Bible and in all its sufficiency to deal with problems, uh, has an explanation for trouble and opposition. He finds at least one aspect of it in Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul has told us in verse 11 and 12, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So we learn that Satan has methods, he has schemes, he has tactics, he has a strategy. And then he said, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So we learn that Satan has a strategy, and part of his strategy is to use people. 
who it, it appears that the people are opposing us, but it's really not. They may not even be aware of it, but Satan is behind it. And then in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, we read, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. So we know that his goal is to devour us. Now, we can't lose our salvation. The Bible says that that is secure. And uh, we are spiritually safe. But he can devour us in the sense of making us ineffective and making us weak and getting us off track. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, we are not ignorant of his devices. I'm afraid that some of us are ignorant of his devices. And so this morning, as we begin to look at Nehemiah chapter 4, we want to become well-versed in some of his tactics. And this morning, we're going to look at one of Satan's methods, one of his tactics, as he uses people to accomplish his strategies. One tactic, but not only that. Nehemiah chapter 4 doesn't just tell us Satan's strategy. It also tells us how to respond to opposition. How do we respond in a godly, biblical way to opposition? So let's begin by looking at the, the first of Satan's tactics, but then we'll deal with Satan's tactics and how to respond. First of all, the first tactic I read about in chapter 4, the verses that we, we read, is this. He uses words that hurt us, stinging words, criticism, doubts about our ability, uh, words that just really hurt. Let's begin by looking at verse 1. Now, it came about that when Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. So he went from being displeased and just mocking to now he's furious. He's very, very angry. Now, why? Why is that? Well, we said when we introduced Sambalat a few weeks ago that from historical ancient records, we have read that Sambalat was governor of Samaria. Samaria would be a little bit to the west and then north of Jerusalem. And what you should know is that in those days, uh, trade routes went through Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem tended to prosper. But with the walls broken down and with the gates uh, destroyed, the trade routes now went through Samaria. So Samaria was uh, economically thriving because of the plight that Jerusalem had. Now, if somebody comes like Nehemiah and wants to rebuild the walls and, and, and uh, restore the city, then the trade routes return to Jerusalem and Samaria is hurt economically. And that's what's going on. That's why Sambalat is furious. That's why uh, he's very angry because now he sees the Jewish people are working on the wall. And if they build it, his um, area is going to be threatened. So he's threatened by this building project. And so he resorts to what a lot of people do when they're threatened. He ridicules the people and puts them down and mocks them. He spouts off words that are designed to demoralize the people. He says in verse 2, and he spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria. Probably that should be the army uh, or the leaders, he gathered them around and he began to ridicule. And, uh, and he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? So in the presence of other Samaritan leaders, he makes fun of the Jewish people. And word gets back, he said it publicly, so word would get back to Nehemiah and the Jewish people. He didn't say this just to mock them. He ridiculed them so it would demoralize them. First of all, he calls them feeble, which, which means in the Hebrew to be withered, to be miserable. Uh, in other words, these Jews are like withered flowers that are fading away. They're incompetent. How can these weak Jews rebuild the wall? 
They're feeble. They're weak. They're incompetent. They can't do it. Then he said, based on their feebleness, he said, are they going to restore it for themselves? In other words, how can they hope to do this enormous task? They're, they're a bunch of weak Jews. Then Sambalat said, can they offer uh, sacrifices? Meaning, uh, is God going to do it for them? Do they think this is like magic? They'll offer sacrifices to their God and their God's going to whip this building up? Then he asked another ridiculing question. Can they finish in a day? In other words, don't they know how enormous this task is? Do they think they can just finish in a day? That they can do this? They're, they're weak. They're nothing. And finally, at the end of verse 2, he said this. He said, can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Don't they realize the, uh, uh, that, that these are damaged stones and they're inadequate for building? These are old stones. Of course not. They, they're not adequate for building. And so he's ridiculing them. And then in verse 3, his colleague Tobiah the Ammonite uh, mocks the Jewish people again. Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was near him, and he said, even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. Um, fox is a very light animal, very agile, uh, kind of like uh, in today we would say a cat. If a cat jumps on it, it falls down. In other words, how does this stone, how did this, uh, this building uh, by this wall, do they expect um, an enemy to be kept out when, when even a light fox, just a few pounds, would jump on and the whole thing will fall down? They're just ridiculing, making fun of them. Now, we learn from this that one of the ways that Satan attacks us is, is just like he attacked Nehemiah and the Jewish people. He will use the tactic of stinging words that cause us to doubt whether we can really do what we're supposed to do. Words that, that cause us to feel like failures. Words that uh, conjure up a deep sense of inadequacy. You can't do that. You're too young. You're, you're a quitter. You've quit before, you'll quit again. You're not competent enough. You're not spiritual enough. You have failed at everything else. You're going to fail at this. You always mess up everything. You know, and sometimes those who criticize us the most are those who are closest to us, family members, who seriously doubt us, who laugh at us, who have no confidence that we can do the job. And those things really hurt. I was thinking about it this week, and I've never really shared a whole lot about, about this, but I think it'd be appropriate. Uh, years ago, when I was on staff here, before I was a pastor, I was interim pastor, and there was a major debate in the church whether I should be considered to be the pastor teacher, and some said yes, and some said no. It was a very difficult time. And in, in that time, in that interim time, um, I was attacked everything. My character was attacked, uh, all kinds of things. Um, Michelle said after she heard those things, she said, I knew you were bad, but I know you were that bad. I might, I don't know if I would have married you if you were that bad. Um, they said things like, uh, he lacks common sense. He's too young. Uh, if, if he becomes a pastor, nobody will ever be here. The church will go bankrupt and, uh, he'll, he'll just be preaching to his family and things like that. Then, um, uh, Someone said, well, you know, he was minister of evangelism, and I don't see great results in the church. If he did such a, a poor job there, uh, he'll do such a poor job here. Another said he's sick all the time, will be out of the pulpit, he'll be ill, he'll, he'll never make it, he's too weak physically. Um, and then after I was chosen pastor, it just continued. Those criticisms continued. Not exactly like that, but they, now they had, uh, there was more ammunition. Uh, he preaches too long, uh, he preaches over our heads. Uh, one person came to me and said, you know, really, you, don't, you really shouldn't be a pastor. You ought to be in a seminary. And um, 
That wasn't meant as a compliment, I want you to know. He wasn't saying that as a compliment. You might think that was. No, he wasn't saying that. Um, doesn't illustrate enough. He's not interested in evangelism, not really interested in missions. I was uh, accused of destroying our missions program. Uh, there are other things, too. Uh, probably uh, time just blots those uh, horrible memories out. And I remember a friend coming to me saying, you know, uh, I think uh, uh, you're going to have, or, or the man who takes this place is going to have a brief ministry, and then the next guy's really going to take off with Lakeside. That's what he said. And uh, you know what? Those words really hurt. All, all those words hurt. Uh, they hurt deeply, and uh, because they, they hit me, and, and they hit all of us when you're attacked like that, where we're very vulnerable, uh, self-doubts. And you wonder, uh, are they right? Maybe I can do this. But then we need to remember that Jesus said in John chapter 8 that Satan is the father of lies. And even though there may be some truth to what people are saying, uh, ultimately he will, he will use even those truthful things and twist them. And he's the father of lies. And he'll use any lie in order to get you to doubt uh, yourself and also to doubt primarily God's sufficiency to strengthen you for the task that he's called you to. He'll tempt you to think that you are inadequate, that you are in over your head, that you don't know, uh, that you don't have what it takes to succeed. And, uh, and, and you know what? Though Satan is a liar and he's a deceiver, there's enough truth mixed in with what uh, he says to hurt us deeply. To hurt us deeply. For example, it was true that those Jews were weak and feeble. It was absolutely true. They were weak. They were feeble. And it was true that the work was too great for them. There was no question about it. The work was too great for them. And it was true that they uh, uh, really lacked manpower and they lacked good materials. Those stones were knocked down. They were old stuff. They've been lying there for years. And you know what? It's true that you and I are inadequate and weak human beings. But what isn't true is that our, our God can't use you if you are weak and incompetent. That's what's not true. Because God delights to use the foolish, weak things of this world to confound the wise. That's, that's the truth. And I'd like you to turn your Bibles in the New Testament to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Because the Apostle Paul felt very weak. The Apostle Paul uh, felt very inadequate. And uh, the reason was because he was. He was. That's exactly what it is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul says, speaking of the gospel, speaking of salvation, speaking of the, the new life and the message that we have he said, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. In other words, our salvation is like a treasure house in a weak clay jar, something easily broken. The gospel is housed in a frail human body, which he compares to a weak clay jar, a vessel. Now, why would God do this? Well, he says it in verse 7, that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. Paul's point is that any manifestation of power is not because we're strong, it's because God uses the weak things of this world to demonstrate his power through. We're not competing with the Lord. And then Paul goes on to illustrate how weak he really is and how, how mighty God is. He says in verse 8, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in our body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Paul's point is that God uses weak 
people in order to display his power through them. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, Look around in your congregation. Has God not chosen the weak things of this world to confound the wise? Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said, In weakness, his strength is perfected. God uses weak things. Listen, we know what it's like to get stung with words, criticisms, lack of confidence in us, insults, put-downs, ridicule, and that's just one of Satan's tactics. And many times it discourages us. Many times it discourages us. In fact, the Jewish people were discouraged. Notice back in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse uh, 5, at the end, Nehemiah says, for they have demoralized the builders. It worked. It worked for a time. And some of you, I think, have taken words to heart and maybe you're not serving the Lord because you don't really believe God can use you. You've been told so much that you're weak, you're a nobody, you're not spiritual, you can't do this, you're going to fail, that you really believe it. And you don't believe that God uses the foolish, weak things of this world to, uh, to bring glory to himself so that people look and say, it's obviously not you, it must be the Lord. That's exactly right. But some of us have, have not taken it that last step. And we're just, uh, we just believe that God can't use us. So you sit on the sidelines and you believe the lie. See, someone has called ridicule the language of the devil. And it'll destroy you spiritually. It'll destroy you. Someone said this, many people can stand bravely when they are shot at, but they'll collapse when they are laughed at. Some of us have been laughed at and criticized, and we really believe that God cannot use us. And, and the old saying, sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but names will never harm me. That's not true. I'd rather get some sticks and stones thrown at me than names. Names hurt a lot deeply. Those sticks and stones, those bruises will heal a lot quicker than uh, those things and names and ridicule and criticisms because those are internal and those go to the heart. So what should you do when strong words are hurled at you? Well, we want to see what Nehemiah did. Notice verses 4 and 5. Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before thee, for they have demoralized the builders. Now, the first thing Nehemiah did was pray. But this is not your typical, Lord, bless those who have persecuted me kind of prayer. It's what we call an imprecatory prayer. An imprecatory prayer is a prayer calling down God's judgments and wrath upon our enemies. Now, quite frankly, this is something we need to address because this is a problem to many of us. We need to think through this because it sounds so contradictory to the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament. For example, in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, you don't need to turn there. I'll just read it to you. Jesus said, but I say to you, uh, you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. And then in Romans chapter 12, Verses 14 and 19, Paul said, Bless those who persecute you, bless and curse not. And then 19 says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So, how do we reconcile, theologically, Nehemiah's prayer and the New Testament teaching of what Jesus said? Well, I think there's uh, basically two ways to look at this that'll help put it in perspective. Number one, Nehemiah was not being personally vindictive. He was not being personally vindictive. He wasn't seeking revenge. He placed vengeance where it should be in the hands of God. He said, you do it. It wasn't a personal thing. You do it. You do it, God. So he was doing just what Jesus said to do. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. 
He was just giving it to God. Secondly, and I think the thing that really should help clear this up, is that Nehemiah's prayer was based on uh, something that we are not under, and that is the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant, part of it in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, said this, I will bless those who bless you. Speaking of Abraham and his physical descendants, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. That was the promise. That was the promise. Nehemiah was only asking God to do what he had already promised to do, to curse those who were a threat to the survival of Israel. And they were a threat to the survival of Israel. This is not just a a wall that they're building. The, The nation and the survival are at stake. That's what we're talking about. So you might wonder if the kind of prayer that Nehemiah prayed is appropriate for us today. You may have already deduced the answer, but Pastor Steve will explain it more fully on the next verse by verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio versions of his messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. If you would like to hear today's class again or learn more about this ministry and how you can help keep us on the air, visit our website, versebyverseradio, all one word, dot O-R-G. To order a CD or cassette with the entire message, call us at 727 727- Two three nine zero three zero six. On our next verse by verse, Pastor Steve will show us three components of effectively handling criticism. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.